Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to a Christmas episode here on the Tony Kinnett Cast, equal parts broadcast and podcast. Broadcast, of course, on 93 WIBC out of Indianapolis. As many of you are traveling on the roads this evening, we'll try to give you a good hour of entertainment for that. And to those who are tuning in on the live stream or the podcasts, wherever you would like those to be found, uh, you are more than welcome to join us on the YouTube live stream chat at youtube.com slash WIBC. And uh, you can, of course, get up to all of the trouble and shenanigans that they do in there, you know, at least until YouTube kicks us off. Well, to kick off this very special Christmas episode a large congratulations to all the stoners out there. Um, that is, stoners uh, with a few asterisks and provisos, a few uh, quid pro quos, perhaps. Because according to the Associated Press and uh, President Biden, who I think may have to be reminded because of the aggressive state of his dementia, Biden has pardoned those charged with dealing, farming, or uh, who have engaged in the possession of marijuana. Um, and he even tried to do some sort of any future charges pardon which, um, no, he doesn't have the legal authority to do. Uh, so there are a few problems here with this, and we'll break into these uh, kind of one by one. Uh, first and foremost, and uh, you know, I would argue uh, probably the most important. Um, how do I how do I put this? You know, quite clearly, the president of the United States um, does not have the ability to pardon individuals that are not charged with federal crimes or on federal land. So I know, look, like there's, there's a lot of people out there who, who are really, really hoping that that one Los Angeles crime in which someone was charged for dealing weed, that that totally covers them now. No, that's not the case. So unless you got arrested for weed uh, on a, a national park, you were at Yellowstone and, um, you know, Puff and the Mary Jane, I'm afraid it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Washington, D.C. is still a federal territory at this point. So uh, sort of to a degree in D.C., although D.C. hasn't really charged anyone um, aggressively for the possession uh, or dealing of weed in a long time. And that's where we get into four things that are true at once, because usually whenever you start talking about marijuana, whenever you start talking about weed, uh, you, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know how to, to say this, but um, there can be multiple things at once. Because a lot of people think, you know, you're talking about weed, you're talking about marijuana. Oh, no, you're, you're either for it or against it. No, a few things are, are true at once here. Number one, weed is, is stupid. And everyone who is obsessed with it for or against it is a giant goober. Um, there are people out there who have made their entire lives and then some all about weed. And just like the whole thing, all about weed from morning until night, all the whole entire thing is just about marijuana. And to you individuals, I, I say, um, Why? Uh, weed's not that big of a deal for or against. It's 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 just something to smoke. I mean, realistically, you drive driving to another state and there's 876 billboards about why their dispensary is the best. Um, get a life. Uh, great. You want to smoke weed? Super duper. Um, number two, weed should be legal and regulated. I know a lot of traditionalists in Indiana as well as other states abroad are really angry at the idea of marijuana being out and about. These are also the same people who think that fentanyl is a plague on the country. Um, And one of the ways to get fentanyl out of a lot of the mouths of those imbibing oral drugs is to make weed safe, uh, safe, safer, I should say, legal and regulated. We might as well be getting some tax revenue out of it, and it lowers the chance of something being laced with fentanyl, uh, which, again, is something that can kind of kill on the first dosage. So that's a good argument. I've heard about 18 different versions of the whole anti-weed argument in the last five years. None of them really hold any water anymore. I'm sorry. Uh, if you're stupid enough to be an adult and you want to, you know, smoke weed, that's all you. Don't care. Or edibles or whatever way you choose, you know, your flavor of grass. 
Uh, number three, it's a lie that black people are rounded up and thrown in jail for weed possession. This has been like a classic thing for the last 30 years. Um, Elmo's dad was literally on Sesame Street talking about this. I mean, they made a puppet for Elmo's dad and had him talk to Elmo about how black people are so systemically oppressed. They're like thrown into prison all the time. Like there are like uh, child catcher gangs like from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang that are wandering up and down the streets looking for black people to plant weed in their pockets and throw them in prison. That's not the case. Uh, according to every measure of federal data, it's almost always an ancillary charge that's thrown out or whittled way, way, way down. You, by the way, get a bigger charge for possession of things like M80s and firecrackers in cities where you're not technically supposed to have those. Uh, so if you're going to sit here and tell me that like weed possession is some kind of a magical federal issue, um, uh, I'm just not seeing it, guys. I I'm sorry. That's just uh, that that that's just not a thing. Um, kind of moving on on down the line here. The last and final most important thing is something that every president here, there, now, and forever should take care to, to pay attention to, and really also every governor and mayor. The, f the president cannot enact law by fiat or blanket pardon. That's not what the executive branch is for. So Biden can't just declare that no one's going to prosecute on weed anymore. That I, Yes, you are technically the head of the executive branch, um, but the executive branch is charged with upholding the laws. And if you ignore the laws... Those are considered impeachable offenses. Let's make it a little more local here. So Hogsett and Shreve, in the last Indianapolis mayoral election, Jefferson Shreve was the almost conservative, almost Republican who ran on the Republican ticket, and Joe Hogsett has been ruining Indianapolis for the last several, several years. Both of them, during the campaign, promised that they would not let the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department investigate or respond to cases in which someone was violating, for example, Indiana abortion law. Yeah, you can't do that. See, the legislature in Indiana gets to decide what the laws are. Um, you as the head of the executive branch in your region don't get to ignore laws because you don't like them. So in Indiana, that would either be um, misconduct at best or conspiracy and aiding crime at the worst. At the federal level, it's the obstruction of justice. So Biden doesn't actually have the authority if marijuana is illegal on the books to just order police to ignore that. You can't you can't do that. that. That's kind of the checks and balances thing. Congress has to pass a law or has to revoke a law. The president doesn't just get to willy nilly wave his magic wand and suddenly decide that everyone's fine for things. Now, you can pardon someone who's been convicted of a crime, but that's not the same. You can't just go, well, in the future, the police are not going to investigate abortions like Hogsett said he was going to do, and Shreve said that he was going to do. Um, in Indiana, that's a misdemeanor. So um, I really would have loved seeing that kind of play out. But yeah, you kind of have to follow the law. None of this really matters, though, coming from Biden, because it's really far too little too late. Biden is decaying faster than chocolate milk in a middle school locker. The basement strategy, it's just not going to work this time. It isn't. So Trump running against Biden in the first in 2020, Biden just kind of didn't exist and let Trump talk himself out of the election. Whereas this time, Biden's the president of the United States. He has to own all of the policies that are currently screwing America over, i.e. the economy and the border. He has to own the world situation that he's not helping. All of the new wars popping up left, right, and center. And he also has to fight Trump directly because he has to defend why he should keep the office. And all Donald Trump has to do is point. The script is flipped. And at the same time, Biden is aggressively decaying in dementia. And so this really, really hurts him. That's why you're seeing him do all of these things with the student loans that he doesn't have the authority to forgive and with marijuana that he also doesn't really have the authority to forgive and the other things that you're going to see come forward. It's a very desperate move. There's kind of a, a popular idea in the Republican Party right now that there's some magical scheme to get Trump into the generals so that Biden can obliterate him. And that was indeed the plan for the first couple of months. And then after DeSantis campaign was thoroughly quashed, not really helped by DeSantis at all, uh, you, you reach kind of an interesting situation in which the left has realized they've screwed up big time by going too far against Trump. And now Trump is driving a freight train to the White House. And so now, instead of before where it was kind of a good thing to have Biden kind of throwing punches at Trump, now they're backfiring to the extreme, which brings us to the topic of Trump's VP which we will have to do when we come back. Uh, when we do come back first, we're going to be chatting with Tammy Weitzman and Doug Turpin of Coalition for Liberty because it turns out that though Seattle's cancer centers really want to lecture cancer patients on their politics, yes, you heard that right, that may come with legal problems. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. 
Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. My name is Jamie Bowles, and I was diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer in December of 2018. Nobody would even know looking at me that I have stage four lung cancer, and I'm grateful for biomarker testing for that. When I was sitting down with my oncologist, there was already a state-of-the-art medication available that I was going to be put on right then and there. Ask your doctor how comprehensive biomarker testing before treatment may help you decide on the best treatment. Visit noonemissed.org to learn more. A public service message from Longevity Foundation. This hour on 93 WIBC is powered by Pierce Jewelers, Carmel's Diamond Engagement Ring Store. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Hello and welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. There aren't a lot of stories in this crazy news cycle that we face today that, that truly make your blood just boil. There are a lot of things that are annoying, a lot of things that you roll your eyes at, and certainly everyone expects Seattle to be a mess. I mean, come on, it's, it's Seattle. But in this particular situation, the kind of insanity that has been allowed to persist in the last couple of years in all of the fields possible, cancer and oncology social work, well, this story is definitely going to take you for a bit of a ride. Joining us are Tammy Weitzman and Doug Turpin to talk a little bit about the situation that have been going on. Of course, Doug Turpin is with the Coalition for Liberty. Uh, Tammy, this is an incredibly mess, and I know it's difficult to summarize, but first, tell us a little bit about what you did on the day today um, in regards to uh, cancer and oncology social work. Sure. So first of all, thanks for having us, Tony. Um, so I've been a, an oncology social worker, a cancer social worker for about 20, almost 23 years. And in my, throughout my career, I, first of all, I was impacted by cancer at a very young age. I lost my father at the age of five, um, come from a, quite a medical family and knew very early on in my schooling that this was something that I wanted to at least try to do. And once I knew that I could do this, um, I never wavered. I have worked in every area of oncology, but focused the great majority, the vast majority of my career in hematology, oncology, and stem cell bone marrow transplantation. I had a very clinical role, meaning I did actual counseling and therapy with patients and their families. There were other folks on the team who were able to ensure that these patients had enough resources, a place to stay, gas money to get to, to get to clinic for their right. appointments. But my role was a very clinical role and it was really in tandem with my um, hematology oncologists, nurses, PAs, and I was very much embedded in my teams and saw patients every single day, five days a week. So your work over these many years eventually led you to uh, to the, Se the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance in 2016. And that's Correct. when things uh, started to go, well, downhill doesn't quite do it justice. So why don't you tell me about some of the craziness that started happening um, when you hopped on with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance? Yeah, so I worked at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, SCCA as it was known. Today it's known as the Fred Hutch Cancer Center. I had worked at SCCA for five years, and I would say four out of those five years were extraordinarily difficult for me in my career. I was called by two colleagues in particular, uh, Canadian, I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. I was called a Canadian white bitch who cuts people off. I'm Jewish, so I was called a white kike, which is a derogatory term. Oh my for gosh. Jew. I was um, I was harassed over knowing a high-ranking cabinet member in the Trump administration whose daughter, his family member, I was um, honored to 
participate in her care of cancer. So, so to to stop very briefly because this is this is patently insane. And we're on with Tammy Weitzman, who was uh, bullied and harassed anti-Semitically in the workplace in Seattle. Uh, and of course, uh, Doug Turpin also from the Coalition of Liberty. So uh, you were called um, anti-Semitic slurs. Um, you were harassed for um, I guess, providing uh, some kind of cancer care to someone who was related to someone in the Trump administration, which is is so beyond the realm of any individual's idea of what someone should be harassed for but please this isn't even where it's where it stops continue Tony just one thing to to add it wasn't that she was just harassed is that she reported her harassment and she was told just to deal with it or she was told uh, that she would be punished if she raised the issue uh, and in because fact that's how one of the that's how anti-semitic slurs they, that's how anti-semitic they made her slurs go work. yeah when she would report harassment like this they would go ahead and make her take a DEI training course because of her lack of sensitivity. It, it was just beyond the pale of the way that she was treated. It wasn't just that this happened in a workplace, it's that when she would talk about this, they were told her, it's no big deal, essentially. Just deal with it. Amazing. Imagine if we had that kind of attitude and, and, and that kind of an, an idea towards Again, individuals of other ethnic groups and other faiths in the country called slurs. Oh, just, you know, just deal with it. That's, you know, it's probably your fault to begin with. After all, officer, her shirt, her skirt was really short. She was asking for it. My God. I mean, it's, it's, it's just disgusting. Uh, please, Tammy, I, I know that's, that's not yet it because this DEI stuff started to infect your work as well, right? Yes, it did. We, we had several DEI trainings that were called at the time race and allyship trainings. And I do want to go back for a minute and say that I did report the two incidences to my manager. We did have meetings, separate meetings with the two coworkers, but nothing was really done. And then in return, I was made, I was the one. So yes, something was done because I was the one that was made to take a diversity, a two day diversity training course had to choose one, I took it, I underwent the training. But we had several DEI trainings over Zoom at the time because it was during COVID. Mm -hmm. And one of them in particular, you know, I was constantly being scolded by my manager. You're not speaking up, you're not showing interest, you're, you need to speak up in these trainings. So I went out on a limb and I did speak up in the, one of the trainings and I said, gee, you know, I do know from a personal perspective what it is like to feel attacked or discriminated. And I told a story of when I was 17 years old at a friend's home and her parents were very anti-Semitic and they found out that I was Jewish and they told my friend to tell me that I had to leave the next day. And of course I did. So when I told this to the group, the two co-facilitators looked and said, it doesn't matter. You're white. You can pass. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been in this exact same circumstance because when I, when I was a science administrator at IPS, I remember being told, I, I'm a federally registered member of the Cherokee tribe. Um, and I remember being told, well, you look white. Phenotypically, you, you look white. And I'm amazed because, again, in, in the cases of people who have um, Italian, Hispanic, um, Jewish heritages from, from several different ethnic backgrounds, again, it, it's no guarantee you're going to come out a particular shade of brown. What, the entire concept that we're now pulling out the eugenics chart to look at someone and go, well, I need to see your, you know, your grandparents to tell if you're, you're Jewish enough or you're black enough or you're Native American enough. It's beyond insulting. So you go through these these racial equity trainings. You're insulted the whole mm -hmm. way through, or excuse me, remedial racism, as it really should be called. Um, then you get this article sent to you in, in 2021 that now you have to really start applying um, DEI and wokeness and political oppression to your, your counseling relationship with patients that you're seeing. Tell us about that. So that was the last DEI training that I was part of before my departure. And, you know, it was just a regular DEI training as they all were around 
racism and this colleague had said that at the conclusion of the training she had said that she was going to send out an article some resources for us to be able to talk about racism with patients and families oh, mm. and I, I just i just want to read the title of the article the article was an old article when president trump had just been elected and the title of the article was how we are to use our skills and influence to resist the upcoming Trump administration and the hatred and the violence that it inspires. Tammy, now, I, I have to ask in your professional expertise and experience here, do you feel that when someone is going through cancer, um, they're, they're focused on um, the, the Trump administration, that what's going through their mind right now, um, that they're dealing with the greatest challenge of their lives and their family also, that they're really concerned about who's in the White House? No, they're concerned about their lives. Caring for cancer patients, receiving cancer treatment, working in a cancer hospital, working in any cancer hospital hospital or any medical institution should be an apolitical matter, period, end of story. I should not have had to be exposed to this. I should not have had to work in an environment that was so political. And I should not be compelled to talk to patients about politics and about President Trump and how evil the left thinks that he is. This is wrong. And yet this Tony. is happening everywhere. The lens through which these people see life and see everything is through progressive politics comes before all else. Progressive politics comes before patient care, comes before a staff member sharing their own experience of discrimination. Mm -hmm. If you do not subscribe to how they see things, you are out. And I eventually was out because I could not, I could not sit comfortably with what I was seeing coming across company email. At the expense I, of at the expense of the patients you were expected to see, no less. Absolutely. I would never think to expose or to take these teachings and apply them to patients. Mm -hmm. It's unconscionable. Patients walk into a cancer center terrified. They don't know what they're gonna hear from their physicians. They're looking for hope. They're in pain, they're sick. I'm not gonna talk to them about politics and I'm not gonna talk to them about President Trump. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett, joined by Tammy Weitzman, a uh, Seattle oncologist social worker who did a lot of counseling with cancer patients who was terminated. Uh, because you know, I, you can't allow these uh, Jewish people to have opinions. That's just that's just unfair. It's uh, just horrible. How could you not want to talk to your patients about why Trump is so stinky and evil and all these other nonsensical things? We're also joined by Doug Turpin from Coalition for Liberty, uh, one of the guys heading up this uh, lawsuit over the most clear-cut uh, violation of her First Amendment rights that I've seen in quite some time. So, Doug, tell me. Give me a little bit of your perspective on how Tammy was just mistreated through this entire process. Because, as a, as a, again, as a guy who understands First Amendment litigation like you do, there's an there's a entirely different set of things that have to be just just putting you on the level with this whole thing. Yes. When I, when I first started talking with Tammy and reviewing everything that they had done to her, uh, it was just heinous. The idea that you would want to impose uh, woke ideology on somebody struggling for their life. 
And if you look at the article that she was referencing, mm -hmm. it is a step-by-step -step process for how you're supposed to confront people, aggressively confront them, confront your friends at the dinner table or confront uh, your family members, confront your patients. The, the whole point was to intimidate people into succumbing to a woke groupthink ideology. And that is just so wrong. Tammy's a hero. Tammy was simply wanting to treat people in an apolitical manner to try to help them to recover from cancer. That's what her job was. Her job was not supposed to be somebody who was indoctrinating patients at their weakest point in their life. Well, it would, something like that would put such a barrier between a, a social worker and the patient. So uh, she suffered constant harassment, any Semitic behavior, uh, discrimination based on her race, her religion, and, and, a, and a fundamental refusal to adopt an ideology and particularly talk about this with patients. Uh, so we're just so happy to be able to uh, represent her. Coalition for Liberty wants to end cancel culture. Mm. We believe that it's possible because cancel culture is proliferated in our body politic because there hasn't been any consequences. So if people that practice cancel culture are suddenly held legally to account, if they're committing defamation, slander, libel, if they're firing people for unjust reasons simply because of a difference in political thought, then if they're held to account, they will stop. And we can right. return to a land where we're having civil and respectful discussions. But woke people do not believe that they can, they know they can't win that way. What they want to do is intimidate and cow people because their ideas themselves are not popular. And that's what so I want to dig into we defeat here. cancel culture. Because the, the, the realistic part of where this rubber meets the road for Tammy is that she got absolutely, I, I, I don't even have the words really to, to quantify this, um, but in, in Tammy's case, where, where, the, where the cancel culture really hit her, was that um, the, the termination. I, I, I've read this several times. I've read the document that you've sent over. I've, I've looked at this. I've tried to kind of put into words how I feel about this. Um, but if you don't mind, Tammy, can you tell us a little bit about the, the quote around your termination, this essence of white privilege thing? Yeah, so I want to go back to one other incident that I want to tell you about where I was called into my manager's conference room to meet around something. And I was very nervous and I was very worn down and I was very scared. And she ended up having to call the rapid response, which is like the code, the former code blue team mm -hmm. to come in and assess me because I was on the floor and I was basically in, in, in the throes of fainting. And then, um, and that was just that was just a little bit of how how this impacted me. And I and, and I really want I really want the listeners to understand how this impacts people. For me, it impacted me emotionally tremendously. But around the termination, Tony, I was essentially told I was called into a conference room by my manager, and her manager said to me. Let's cut right to the chase. We're letting you go. Your ethnicity sensitivity and your core values do not align with our mission and core values. And do you have a ride home? Tony, just to, to uh, put some context on this, what happened was that Tammy uh, went to her boss to talk about this article that was sent out sure. and to object to the very concept of having to go talk to patients, friends, co-workers, and to, uh, to, to basically confront people. That was what the article was all about. And the, uh, her, her manager said, well, I'm not going to go ahead and talk to uh, this uh, co-worker. You are. You're going to go over and uh, basically talk to this person and explain your concerns. 
And Tammy said, well, that's not my job. That's not what I, I'm very uncomfortable. This is a very radical uh, social justice warrior, and I'm concerned uh, about that. He said, well, I'm directing you to go talk to your coworker. So she did. And the coworker essentially said, well, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and agree with anything you think, but we'll be fine. Uh, we won't. Uh, we, we won't have to carry this any further. Yeah. We agree uh, to disagree. So then Tammy went to mm-hmm. HR. She went to HR about this, and HR said, "You have absolutely nothing to worry about. We'd never allow any retaliation against you for something like this." A week later, uh, her coworker sent out an email that ended up getting t- Tammy terminated. And this is shocking. What she put in this email should have had her, at the very least, reprimanded, if not fired, for the, the racist type of rant that she put in. Yeah, it's, it's, this email that, it's this email that just has me livid. So I'm going to read a little bit of this, yeah. this email on the air here. It says, yeah. quote, it is the essence of white privilege to be able to focus on a tree at the expense of seeing the forest. It is the essence of white fragility to claim victimhood when you are definitely not the victim. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, Jews, but uh, you're not allowed to claim being the victim when someone calls you um, anti-Semitic slurs. Uh, I am disturbed that a white woman, again, n- not, not quite, but anywho, I am disturbed that a white woman on a social work team at a major institution like uh, Seattle uh, Cancer Care, would try to play these games, would claim the status of victimhood in the face of a woman of color. Oh, there it is. And it always comes back to that. After the years of the era of Trump. Um, And so uh, that in and of itself is incredibly racist. But of course, if you're in a certain position on the hierarchy of the pride and progress flag, you get to make those kind of statements. So goodness gracious. Only she even ended it with, she said that she will not privilege uh, Miss Weissman or any white person's perspective or opinion. Now, that's very open and blatant racism. Yes. And that got uh, Tammy fired. They went yeah, after promising right. that they would never allow any retaliation. Uh, they promptly brought Tammy in and told her that she was not ethnically sensitive enough. It's so, just a shocking turn of events. We're, we're, we're running just a, a, a up to a point here where I, I have to ask, because the lawsuit, again, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're, we're taking this to task. Um, it, it's very obvious to me why this was retaliation. Um, I'm not going to insult anyone in this conversation by asking you to explain why you think this was retaliation. You know, uh, two plus two equals four any day of the week. So maybe I should put it this way. What are you looking for? out of this lawsuit because there's a lot of different goals you know i've worked with teachers that have fired filed you know lawsuits in regards to retaliation across the country um, parents regarding school boards what are you looking for out of uh this lawsuit against uh this seattle organization you know tammy in in my mind is a true hero uh because she's standing up to try to prevent this kind of thing from happening to other people they took away her dream her dream since she was a little girl and uh, seeing her father uh, suffer from cancer was to help cancer patients and that's all she ever wanted so they should pay for what they've done but we're also looking to send a message out there that this is wrong this type of behavior is not going to be something that organizations individuals they can't practice cancel culture and expect that they're any longer going to be getting away with it without consequences. So delivering consequences is how we're going to end cancel culture. So Tammy wants to do her part in speaking up and talking about anti-Semitic, anti-white. It's it's horrible to discriminate against anyone based Mm -hmm. on their color, whether they're whatever color they are. It's wrong and it needs to stop. There can't be somebody countenancing this kind of behavior and punishing somebody for bringing it to the attention of their superiors. Right. Tony, I want to jump in for one minute and just say, you know, I was alone in this fight of mine for a very long time. And it wasn't until I found in my hometown of Charlotte, the Coalition for Liberty, 
that I felt completely embraced, believed, and most of all, I would say that I felt heard. And if anything, it pains me to believe that there may be someone else like me out there. And it, there's a lot of organizations we're beginning to fight back as conservatives right now, right? There's do no harm, there's America first legal, but I would encourage anybody who is unsure what to do, who is feeling very lonely and alone in their fight, mm -hmm. just reach out to Doug and his team. They are fantastic and they will embrace you and they will help you. And it's because of Doug and his team, really. It's because of the CFL that I'm here today, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, Doug Turpin, Coalition for Liberty, and Tammy Weitzman fired for uh, not wanting to lecture cancer patients about Donald Trump. <laughs> Again, I just can't. I can't even uh, imagine that I'm... I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, thank you guys very much for joining us. This is the Tony Kinnegast on 93 WIBC. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. All right, welcome back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. We will get to Butler University in just a moment in that sweet, sweet justice that that is. Uh, but I wanted to touch on uh, who Trump is floating for VP. So Trump has reached out in the last couple of days to a lot of his donors and he's asked, you know, what do you think about Nikki Haley? Like, what do you think? What do you think about Nikki Haley as a VP candidate? Um, which, as we've been talking in the live stream chat, is very dolce et decoramest, which is Latin for it's very sweet and fitting. Uh, because Nikki Haley, for a good portion of her candidacy early on, was really only running to be the VP for Trump. And it wasn't until she started getting some big fat donor stacks that she kind of changed her tune and started really running for herself. Um, and I don't usually pull that uh, kind of a moving for money out from nowhere. Uh, I had the opportunity to chat with someone in her campaign the other day that said their entire marketing shift kind of changed um, after some of the bigger bucks came rolling in. So that's you know not an out there in the cobwebs conspiracy. Uh, now, don't fret. There are some, for example, in the DeSantis campaign um, who are saying, see, this is why you need to not vote for Trump because... Um, he's going to pull Haley up, who would be a disastrous VP candidate. And that's true. Nikki Haley um, is just Hillary Clinton in a different color of slacks. Uh, that's very, very true. Um, she has the George Bushian ethic and foreign policy, which is the diplomacy, democracy building, nation building. Everyone thinks the same. They just need it's like Republican Obama. So, no, that would be a bad decision. But that's also a little misleading because Trump has been floating a lot of donor ideas um, as candidates over the last couple of months, not just Nikki Haley. Um, and Trump also just made fun of her campaign the other day. So here's some other people he's considering. Um, we'll go from worst to best. So he suggested Carrie Lake, which would be just awful. Um, he suggested, uh, let's see, Byron Donalds, who's okay. I just think doesn't really need to be a VP. Um, Elise Stefanik in South Dakota, Governor Christy Noem. Ah, okay. Noem kind of sucks. Uh, on a lot of policy, especially Second Amendment. Tim Scott and J.D. Vance, both great picks. The best pick and who he should absolutely go for is Ben Carson. Trump and Ben Carson have been close since his first primary run. Uh, one of my favorite clips is when they were calling out all of the, because there were like 546 people running for president back in uh, 2015 for the Republican Party. So Trump uh, was getting ready to walk on stage and Ben Carson didn't get called. Um, and so Trump waited with Dr. Ben Carson until they called his name and they both walked out on stage together. I think that's the best VP pick. Um, honestly, I think that DeSantis would have been a better pick, but due to the rift and the divide between traditional conservatives and populists in the party, that's just not going to happen. So that stuff all aside, let's talk about Butler University because this is just this is just near and dear to my heart. So to recap, Butler University in Indianapolis, a private university that takes federal money 
had decided that after its uh, student chapter for Students for Justice in Palestine, uh, which has been banned on like five or six university campuses now for overt violence, vandalism, and anti-Semitism. And I don't mean anti-Semitism as they're saying like, you know, we don't really want to send money to Israel, which is not anti-Semitism. But like, hey, let's kill all the Jews, which is anti-Semitism. So that group. Um, the Students for Justice in Palestine hosted a protest like three or four days after Hamas raped, beheaded, burnt, and killed 1,200 Israelis. Uh, and they hosted it on Monument Circle, and they chanted things like, quote, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, end quote, which is the slogan for Hamas and an ethnic cleansing uh, chant. They also chanted, quote, uh, not a victim, not a crime, end quote, which means uh, Israel was not a victim, and therefore none of the rapes and beheadings by Hamas was a crime. It's just retaliation for being under the, the Jewish boot. So uh, the Butler College Republicans uh, wrote a letter condemning this and said, hey, look, Butler has this non-discrimination policy, like a lot of universities with DEI departments. They have this non-discrimination policy that says, hey, you cannot chant for the death of a race. And so, therefore, if we're going to go by that policy, Butler should investigate this student-led protest in which these chants occurred. Also, um, chants calling for the death of a race, kind of wrong. So, Butler posted that letter on Instagram, or excuse me, Butler College Republicans posted that letter on Instagram. And Azure Swinford, who's the Title IX coordinator, a federally mandated position when a university takes federal money, she started investigating the college Republicans because they condemned the Students for Justice in Palestine. Uh, she alleged in this this in official investigation letter um, that there were complaints that, first of all, the Butler University uh, College Republicans had made up all of the chants that they heard and condemned. And then also they did that to incite violence and harassment against Muslim students and Palestinian students, um, which, oh, dear God, imagine saying that everyone in a certain religion or everyone in an ethnic category which Palestinians aren't an ethnic category, but everyone in a migrant category thinks and says the same things. It's kind of discriminatory. So I asked Butler some questions, and they kind of just gave the, the middle finger and said, no, we're not telling you anything about this. We don't care if it's unethical. So Representative Jim Banks of Indiana's 3rd, uh, who is on the House Education and Workforce Committee, has issued a letter to the president of Butler University, which says... Uh, by January 5th, you need to answer the following questions. Number one, what evidence did your office have that the college Republicans falsely accused students for justice in Palestine of anti-Semitic chants before launching a formal investigation? Number two, what was the basis for demanding college GOP remove an Instagram post and limit their free speech before the conclusion of your investigation? Number three, did Butler's DEI office launch a formal investigation into students for justice in Palestine? And number four, how many reports of anti-Semitic incidents on campus have been reported since October 7th, and have you investigated any of them? They have until January 5th to answer those questions, and uh, there's a reason they have to answer those questions. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a secret. If you take federal money, you got to play by federal rules. And the same rules that Democrats have been using for years to bludgeon Christian groups and conservative groups and make up all of these heinous crimes uh, against uh, Christian and conservative-oriented groups on campuses by saying that, uh, you know, they didn't believe in LGBTQ plus stuff if they were a Christian group. Now it turns out that when Congress is uh, in control of Republicans, at least in the House, that these universities like Butler and MIT and Harvard and uh, UPenn have to follow the same set of rules that they wrote down so clearly, or they can be accused of mishandling federal funds, which means Butler can get a major uh, amount of money cut from them. And I would also like to remind you that there are a lot of evangelical and Jewish donors to Butler University who are not finding this, uh, let's just say, not finding it very appealing. So uh, good luck to Butler. Enjoy your degree in karma. I look forward to seeing the answers. And if not, I just might look forward to seeing you at a congressional committee hearing. Up next, we're going to be talking about the greatest thing of all. That's right, a Hoosier Christmas. You are listening to the Tony Kennecast on 93 WIBC. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Go, go, go. 
This is the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast. May I be the first to wish you a very Indiana Christmas. Uh, Because some of you out there are already out on the roads, you may be listening to this while you're traveling, and I know that because I've already gotten a few texts, messages, and even an email uh, from those of you listening while they're on the roads traveling for Christmas. I don't know why you're sending emails this late at night. Uh, Please don't. I'm not worth it. You may be out of state, um, but traveling, so you may be, you know, from somewhere else, and you're just listening to the radio, don't want to listen to the Christmas music, I hear you. And you're traveling via I-70 or 74, 69, or, you know, if you're a glutton for punishment, you're traveling on I-65. Look, first things first, if you're hogging the left lane right now, uh, stop it. Um, get over. Indiana state law stipulates that the left lane on any state road or interstate is for passing other vehicles. Um, no one cares about your Kia Forte out there in the left lane. Um, it doesn't matter if you're going the speed limit or slightly over the speed limit. That does not give you the right to clog up the left lane. So if you're out there, get over. Do not be that guy. All right. Second and more importantly, I'd love to wish you an Indiana Christmas. See, Indiana Christmases are truly something special. Indiana is the south of the north and the north of the south. It's the state that is considered the common core and melting pot of the United States. It's the founder of the Midwestern accent, which has become so ubiquitous that it has ceased to become an abnormality, but is now the standard for the English language. At least that's according to General MacArthur uh, back in the 50s. Quite honestly, to celebrate this season, um, I've set aside a bit of time to play one of my favorite Christmas songs. Uh, This is obviously no Tony Katz Thursday music moment or whatever he does, but I hope you enjoy it. Here is a little Indiana Christmas. Indiana, that's where I'm going this time of year. You know how I feel. Indiana, that's where I'm going, where Christmas will always be We sing into the night in the That's where I'm going this time of year. You know how I feel in That's where I'm going, but where Christmas will always be down on my home from above Deep in December is where I belong Sharing the days with the ones who I love was first invited uh, to do my own show on WIBC back in the spring, um, I was told that normally uh, one comes up with, you know, for a segment, why they chose to be on the air. Um, but instead of kind of telling you all some silly little story about my life and why I wanted to be on the radio, um, instead, I decided to kind of give an intro segment about why I thought that Indiana was the best and the most underrated state in the union. And I still do. Uh, I love Indiana. I love every single part of it, except Gary. Um, and to be sincere and honest, there is something about the culture that emanates from this particular place in the country that I do not find in Southern Illinois or middle Ohio or Northern Kentucky. 
there is a certain spirit of the Hoosier that comes through, and I'm very thankful for, uh, not just because I happen to know a lot of you, and, uh, but because there's just a little something special about the state and, and what its people believe and how we have kind of our own cultural identity um, at a time when you don't really see a lot of places other than like California and Texas and maybe New York and Florida having that anymore. Uh, so to my fellow Hoosiers uh, and, you know, those who are uh, out of state but traveling through, a very Merry Christmas to you and your family uh, who've weathered another year of chaos and nonsense amid the inflation and the crime, the beaten up roads, the highway robbery from the pump to the grocery store. I pray that you'll take time over the weekend uh, to read the Christmas account in the Gospel of Luke, which contains the record of a far greater gift than uh, either you or I uh, could ever afford to give or receive. It is a, it's a real joy to be on the air with you guys. I love doing this. Um, certainly, uh, some of the news comes pretty quick at the end of the evening, and I appreciate your taking the time to kind of walk through it with me. I'm happy to take, receive any questions. I don't claim to be any kind of an expert or anything special. Uh, I am just a Hoosier uh, who is really thrilled to get to hop on the airwaves with you on the live stream of the podcast and uh, share a little bit about what's going on around the country from the perspective of just another Hoosier. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Have a very, very wonderful Noel. I hope that you get to spend some time with family I hope that you spend some time where you just all of the devices are put down and you just get to stare at a Christmas tree and it may not be a snowy Christmas, uh, but you know, that is, that is just okay. Um, sometimes, sometimes even if you don't have the, the white Christmas, it's still a pretty good, it's still a pretty good time. Um, I hope that your family's not serving Turkey again because uh, Turkey's dry and it's the most overrated holiday food of all time. Um, literally a chicken is far better for a holiday meal than turkey ever was or will be. I know a lot of you are ham people. Um, I'm doing ribeyes tomorrow with some family uh, tomorrow evening, and I can't wait for that because ribeyes are just the best thing that God has ever given to man. And uh, if you're not adding steak to the Christmas rotation, you got to think about that, guys. I mean, you got it. And I mean, when I mean steak, I don't mean grilled uh, because grilling is the inferior way to cook a steak. I mean pan fried in salted butter as God intended. So have a wonderful Christmas from the Tony Kinnett cast crew and those over at WIBC out of Indy. We will see you after the holiday, and I'm sure there will be far too much news breaking that we'll have to dig through. You have been listening to the Tony Kinnett cast. We'll see you real soon. 